Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Phineas Club. This show is the place where we gather from different parts of the world, talk about the things that have been happening in the past few weeks, and tell you what we think of them with our own perspectives, our own um, backgrounds, our own cultures, and hopefully you get a little bit of a different view on things that you might have thought you knew everything about. Or maybe we just confirm what you thought, and that is possible as well. We don't. We try not to have a bias in any way. I, I almost said we don't have a bias here, but I guess we all have a little bit of a bias. The important thing is to be open to listening to the other people's uh, views on things, and that certainly is what we do here. My name is Patrick Beja, and I'm very glad to be welcoming back to the show. Let's first to my, uh, if I was in France, I, so I'm from France and I currently live in Finland. And if I was in France, I would say to my east is Matthias joining us from Germany. So uh, welcome, Matthias. How's it going? Hello, neighbor. <laughs> but now you're down south. You're, you're completely below. So I, I don't know where to look. Um, yep. How's it going? We are a, a huge community. Everyone is a neighbor. So, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. We are and, in the European Union. We all love each other. Yeah, but at least until this Corona thing hit, because uh, now we are all uh, more or less enemies because we are closing the borders. No one can travel. And uh, old rivalries are popping up again, I guess. <laughs> well, well, we'll see. We'll discuss all of this and how things are going in this uh Post-lockdown, partial post-lockdown, depending on where you live, things are uh, starting to, to change back a little bit. But we'll discuss that in a little bit. Before we do, I do want to welcome uh, Dan Campos as well from Mexico. Mexico? Is that the right way of saying it? How's it going, Dan? Uh, excellent, Patrick. And actually, uh, you, I you are using an accent that it's indistinguishable, indistinguishable from uh, somebody from Mexico. So that's a perfect pronunciation. Yay! I love having great accents. Um, we've had a long stand, well, a standing debate on uh, DTNS, a tech show I do with our good friend Tom Merritt, um, about whether or not I have a French sounding accent. I think I do have an accent, but uh, I don't think people can tell I'm French if they don't know. Uh, but at well, least if I just, if I show up 
in Mexico and I say Mexico, then people, <laughs> if I only say that word, people won't know where I'm from or they'll assume I'm from there. So um, yeah, they, 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 will, they will perhaps think that you are an advanced French student uh, <laughs> uh, who is just uh, from Mexico and uh, actually care to learn some different languages. So there you go, Patrick. <laughs> Thank you very much. Um, so I think, Dan, we're going to start with you because I don't know anything about what's happening uh, in in central uh, South America and, well, specifically uh, Mexico. Uh, before we do, though, I do want to thank the people who support the show on Patreon. Um, this show is a labor of love, and it's definitely a labor. It's a lot of work to put together, a lot of work to do, a lot of work to produce. So if you enjoy it, if you get something out of it, as I always say, please do consider supporting it on Patreon. It's super easy, takes literally two minutes. Uh, you go to patreon.com slash the Phileas Club, you have the link in the show notes and uh, you can just, you know, j just uh, give a buck or two per episode and that is all that is required for the show to function. So if you like it, if you appreciate it, if you get something out of it, please do consider giving a little bit of your hard-earned cash. If you can, if you can't, then obviously I do not want to take your money. Uh, but if you can't afford it, it would be absolutely awesome and I would very much appreciate it. So uh, patreon.com slash the Phileas Club. You can do it from your phone. You can do it from your computer. It takes two minutes and it makes the show run. So... Yeah, we're going to go as usual. Uh, each one of us is going to tell us about, uh, tell the world about what's happening in their country. And what's the biggest piece of news, or I guess in these coronavirus times, what's the general atmosphere in uh, Mexico, Dan? Let us know. All right. I will start start first uh, with um, uh, perhaps some kind of funny news. And from there, I will take to the uh, more current news. And this is actually kind of uh, relevant because it reflects the kind of um, caution, the kind of care that some people at the current administration with uh, our president are taking care of uh, these different situations. Um, specifically, last week, uh, Andres Manuel López Obrador, our, our current president, uh, tweeted a link from one of the projects that uh, he released when he was first elected. That was in uh, 2018. And the, the name of the project also uh, was um, uh, Proyecto 18 or, or Project 18 because it began in 2018. So uh, he was just like thinking, okay, it, this will be a good moment because uh, it's uh, about two years uh, from when we released this plan. So let's promote this. The only problem that was in there is that uh, his people uh, didn't care about renewing the contract with the with the domain. So somebody also <laughs> uh, got their first and they registered on that domain a uh, porn site. Which oh, was, my uh, God. Well, Project 18, because you have to be 18 oh or older to, to get there. And it was uh, porno mexicano gratis, Mexican porn for free. So the the people who is in charge of the social networks for the president and, and for those who are related to him, like this energy secretary or the, well, all the secretaries and ministers were retweeting because it was like, okay, this uh, is good news from the president. Let's uh, show the people how we are advancing in this. But nobody cared for check for the link and Twitter. And also, if you saw the tweet, you could see the, 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 the web address which is the same, but you could see the preview of the site, so nobody of cared course. about that. So for about uh, half a day, uh, between four, six hours, uh, everybody was like uh, 
trolling the president and the, and the ministries because they didn't pay attention to this. How can you <laughs> so not like news? How, how can you not at least like see the preview on the tweet for six? Like if you tweet it and after a couple of minutes you see you know people letting you know and I guess maybe these public figures get a lot of tweets so they don't even pay attention to the responses. But at least a couple of you know, direct messages or even someone calls you. It it took like six or seven hours for them to realize. That's terrible. Yeah, that, and actually that shows because, uh, for example, for the regular communications, um, if I could define the current president, he's kind of a mix between some of the worst aspects from Donald Trump and some of the worst aspects from uh, Nicolas Maduro from Venezuela. Uh, where he, uh, as Donald Trump, uh, he tries to um, establish the, the agenda for the day. If somebody wants to, I don't know, confront him or uh, talk about something else that he is not in his personal agenda, he just pretty much uh, 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 wants to change the subject of the conversation. So they actually really don't care about what somebody else is, is uh, saying. And uh, this is one of the main problems that we have in here because... Um, one of the main aspects that uh, has been um, a common aspect in this administration is that if you are not in the side of the president, if you are not in the side of the so-called left in Mexico, and I say that it's the so-called left because it's more like uh, evangelical right, but a lot of people think that because it's not a Catholic right, because, well, in Mexico, mostly of the people is Catholic, uh, they think that because it's not Catholic, it's left, but uh, they are more conservative in a lot of aspects. So if you are not in the side of the president, you are a conservative, you are somebody who shouldn't be uh, uh, taken into account. So we have this kind of division, which is uh, really hurting us in, in different aspects. And this actually explains part of the way that they are doing the communication. So you have pretty much the official message, and if uh, you have to be aligned into the official message. Mm. If you are, are not agreeing, you will be, as I mentioned before, you will be ignored. But also... Uh, Obrador established something that it was actually, he established when, when he was the city mayor in Mexico City. Uh, we call it the Mañaneras, which are the morning conferences with, uh, where he spends about an hour taking uh, questions from the from the press, from a, a lot of the different representatives. And also uh, he deals with the most important uh, things that we have in the country. Right now, obviously, it's the coronavirus uh, pandemic. But uh, he uses it more like propaganda. And uh, this has to do with what I mentioned before, because if you dare to challenge him uh, with uh, even with official information from the government sites, uh, for example, the number of uh, people uh, suffering violence, uh, no, 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 you are wrong. Uh, I have a different set of numbers. That's always the response that he's going to give you. He mm. always have a different set of numbers for anything that it's against uh, the official position, even if you uh, quote perhaps the, 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 the numbers from an uh, official page, page from the government and says, well, these are actually your numbers. And this has happened uh, a lot of times. So this is like All the right. personal vision that in, they, they have in the government. Uh, moving it to some of the things that we are dealing right now, uh, we have uh, something that is called the um, working street light or uh, semaphore uh, de recuperación, uh, which indicates according to the, to the light that we are, uh, which sectors of the industry are going to be opening uh, after we recover from this uh, pandemic uh, disease. And I want to mention something before uh, getting in there. That uh, in Mexico in 2009 we have uh, we could say the a test trial 
and with not all the features available for the coronavirus because we have the H1, AH1, N1 uh, pandemic in here, the, 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 this, uh, this kind of disease that was kind of similar. Obviously, it wasn't as deadly as the coronavirus, and uh, it was uh, similar in the kind of the infectious level. And I remember very well that in 2009, uh, the administration that we have in there took care and a lot of, and it was criticized because for a lot of people, they overreacted with the kind of uh, infections that we have in here. The administration at that time, they decided to go all the way because uh, it, it originated in Mexico. And they were thinking, well, if this is like something that originated in China, what the SARS virus, MERS virus, any kind of uh, those other deadly diseases, we have to take a lot of attention because if it is associated with Mexico, obviously the the, the industry, obviously the, the people who want to invest in Mexico will think twice before getting in there. Mm. So that's why they overreacted. But I remember very well that at that time um, I was working in an, an office in one of the, the, the main sectors here in, in, in Mexico. And I remember that we were uh, made to wear uh, face masks for about a month when you were go getting there. Uh, I remember that in the city center, uh, right in, in downtown, in front of the Fine Arts Palace, El Palacio de Bellas Artes, there were trucks from the military, from the army, uh, delivering uh, face masks. Uh, they were uh, delivering also a lot of tests, a lot of uh, tests for check if, uh, to check if you, you were infected with this disease. And uh, we had about uh, 15 days, uh, one week for, for, for complete lockdown, uh, two weeks with a lot of um, uh, two weeks of paying a lot of attention and about a month uh, where, where it uh, kind of uh, normalized the, the, the situation. And You're still talking list, about 2009 now. That was that's what correct. happened then. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Sorry uh, about that. Uh, so the, uh, at that time, we had this experience and uh, some of the lessons that we had to have from, from that situation was, okay, you have to pay more attention, uh, to to wash more your hands, you have to to cover when you sneeze. At that moment, we call it the, the Dracula or the vampire sneeze because you have to cover <laughs> like if you were, were wearing a cape, your, your, your face while sneezing. And other thing is that at least for uh, 15 days, if you went to the city center, uh, it was, uh, there were not a lot of people and it was really sad and the economy stopped for a bit. So it wasn't as serious as the current situation that we have, and that they obviously is a worldwide situation. But those were some of the lessons that we had, and uh, we didn't learn. When the current president came uh, into power, one of the first things that he did was uh, cutting the budget, because for him, something that means money, it's something that means corruption. And if you earn a lot of money, probably it's because you are corrupt. So he started uh, cutting the salaries from the people at the top in the government institutions. He cut the budget of the health sector by half. It was like for about 46 or 49 percent, which is a lot. And uh, that was two years ago. And when the, the current pandemic came here, uh, it was kind of ridiculous because the same posture was present in here. Uh, because he was saying, well, okay, yes, because we were uh, doing uh, austerity measurements. We were cutting the budget because a lot of money was just getting there and it wasn't getting to the people who actually need it. But uh, one of the main problems is that the budget that he cut, it was the one in charge of the health of a lot of people. I mean, pretty much the, the, the entire country. So when we have this situation, uh, uh, the people who is fighting uh, the pandemic in the hospitals, they didn't have the budget for the most essential items like face masks, like uh, all the stuff that you need to cover and to protect yourself from getting um, infected. And uh, after that, the president actually commented, well, you know, if you are a doctor, 
you are responsible for the health of the people who are coming to you. So you should take part of your salary and buy those things because uh, even if I don't give you the money, you are responsible for that people. <laughs> so for him, it's always somebody else's problems. And uh, if you have money, pretty much you are in the wrong side of the equation. Uh, this is pretty so, much part of the things that uh, have been facing here. Sorry, uh, go, Patrick. Yeah. Um, so... When did you, do, or do you have a, let me ask you a couple of basic questions. Um, mm -hmm. When did, I guess, the country realize that um, things were going to be, uh, uh, their drastic measures were going to be needed? And when did you get into lockdown? I guess you are into lockdown. Um, for us in the Western world in general, it was early to mid-March that it happened everywhere at the same time. Was that also the time frame that it happened for you? It is uh, kind of similar uh, because uh, the way that we are located, and uh, as you know, we are close to the United States, and a lot of works depend on of the United States. Even though we knew about the situation in Spain and Italy and uh, in China, uh, for us it was like, as long as it doesn't affect uh, one of our main uh, partners, in this case the United States, we can pretty much ignore that. So for late, late February and early January, uh, we were already having daily communication from uh, the government about the situation with the infection. But they were saying this is not important. They were saying, uh, don't worry, just uh, kind of pay attention, but uh, we can pretty much go, go ahead. Even the president uh, was like, uh, you know, you have to go out and, and buy food in the uh, mom and pop's uh, restaurant. You have to go because yeah. the economy needs you. You have to go outside, even though the health secretary and the health subsecretary, who is uh, who actually gives the information, in, uh, uh, we have a daily program at 7 p.m., which is uh, is not a soap opera, but this is where they uh, release the, the official information. He was already recommending that uh, we should be into a lockdown. A lot of um, uh, businesses uh, decided to go before the federal uh, indication, the federal instruction from the president was being done. So by so when did that March, happen? Yeah. Okay. In early March, it was when uh, a lot of uh, business were like, you know what, we have to stop here. We are going to st uh, start establishing different schedules. And if you can work uh, at home, you will do it. At least for a couple of weeks, the official posture was, don't worry, you have to go outside. The official posture from the president, because even the health secretary was saying, you have to pay attention to this, even though it's not worry. By mid-March, it's when we started uh, with the official uh, lockdown. However, in early March, uh, some of the state governors, like from Jalisco and Nuevo León, they decided to go before the uh, instruction from the federal government. Mm. And those are some of the states that actually have the, less, uh, the, the least cases of infection. So I guess you basically your timetable is similar to and, and I'm, I might be a little bit uh, uh, purposefully provocative, provocative here, but for you seem to be pretty antagonistic to the way it was handled which i completely understand and it seems there were some serious uh failings as everywhere but i guess my point is the timetable is roughly similar to every other western countries uh everywhere it was early march people were like woohoo let's go out let's support the economy and then suddenly within the the span of 10 days everyone was saying, you should all stay at home right now. Um, 
And let me turn to Matthias for just a second to go back in time again to that far, far away uh, time of early, late February, early March. Um, Germany seems to have done really well, or I don't know if we can say really well, but the, one of the best handlings of, these, uh, of this crisis. When did people really wake up to the importance of the crisis? And when did the lockdown uh, start? Is it also that same time period of early to mid-March? About the same time, but I think if you're asking me when people realized uh, that it happened, uh, for Europe at least, the uh, key point is um, there was a... a Austrian uh, ski resort, Ischke, and a lot of mm. people who went there to ski in uh, around February um, got the coronavirus there and spread it all over Europe. So that's the key point when it all started. And from there, it spread all, all over. And uh, people But that's when we look that, back. That's when we look back. We didn't yeah, realize at the, the time that it was I'm, happening. I'm just thinking because that was in late January mid-February maybe, and then there was a carnival here and there was an incident where uh, inf uh, an infected couple want really wanted to go to carnival and uh, they went there and infected like uh, half of the of people over there. Mm. And that's the, where the point they realized, well, okay, uh, it's, this is serious. This is not just something in China. This is here now. So it was around the same time, I guess. Yeah. But lockdown happened afterwards. Right. Oh, yeah, well, it wasn't it wasn't really a lockdown in that sense. It was just the restrictions. You could still go out here. Uh, it's not as bad, for example, as in Italy, where people are literally confined to their houses, can't get out over here. You still can get out. You can still get to work. You can still go out to do some sports. You can still buy your groceries and everything. You just should avoid doing anything besides that so you don't visit friends or go out to party or something so it's not a lockdown is the wrong word actually because it's it sounds worse than it actually was over here well i think yeah i, I think that's how we define it i don't know how stringent how severe it is in other countries but it was uh pretty much the same in france and uh finland as well uh, it was, you had to stay home, but of course you could still go out to buy food and uh, most people, I mean, many people would get, make a lot of use of delivery stuff, but you shouldn't go out for work until, unless you absolutely had to. And we have these authorizations that we talked about, I don't know, back in February or early March um, in, I, I want to, I, I, oh, I apologize, I don't remember the first name of the Italian gentleman who joined us uh, at that point, who told us about, um, oh, I think it was either Alessandro or Giovanni, um, who told us about that authorization you had to fill to go out, um, even though it was just yourself who was filling it and was always valid, you would just fill out a document to help you think, do I really need to go out? Did you have something like that in Germany as well, Matthias, or not at all? No, not at all. Okay. If you're sitting, there were incidents where people were sitting outside on, on park benches and in the beginning, police would come over and say, why are you sitting here? Go home. Uh, but you didn't have any, you have to have any papers or permission mm. slips or anything. You could just go out and they were just looking uh, that people were not uh, actually 
walk, walking outside in crowds. So mm -hmm. if you're the member of the same household, for example, if you go out with your wife or your husband or your kids, that would that was okay. But if it was like a huge group, the police would intervene and uh, say, please disperse uh, for uh, infection mm. prevention. Okay. All right. So roughly, um, I think we'll, we'll, we'll get to this in a, in a little bit, but um, I think in Germany, things were handled probably the best out of the Western country or in the best, uh, uh, you know, in the top three um, of the 20 or 30 or whatever Western countries. Um, and, but date wise, it was very similar in it seems in every western country uh and in uh at least mexico now the handling of things might be different you seem you seem to be saying uh dan that things were not handled properly at all uh i wonder what was put in place like did you have the that authorization paper that you had to fill out if you wanted to go out uh how did things go and and more importantly even Where are things now? I think that's what I want to know the most. How are things going now? Where are you in the evolution of the uh, pandemic? Uh, um, in the federal level, which uh, covers pretty much like the entire country, except in the states where they are making exceptions, you don't need like a permit. So if you want to go out and, uh, I don't know, buy stuff, you can do it. Uh, there are different businesses that are closed. Pretty much the only business that can be open are the, uh, those that are uh, uh, considered essentials, which are uh, things where uh, places where you can uh, buy either food or medicines or something that it's, uh, as the name implies, uh, something that you need to, to live. Um, uh, if you are not working in any of these uh, business and if you can work at home, well, you are blessed uh, uh, because you won't be getting exposed. Uh, things like public transportation, um, they start closing some, uh, for example, in Mexico City, some uh, of the subway stations so that uh, a lot of people wouldn't be able to get into the public transportation so that you will be starting to apply in certain filters so if you don't you don't have as much as many people uh in in the in in the subway well uh, the, the chance for getting infected uh, are going to be less of course the thing is that well uh, it do doesn't work like that because you have uh, less trains uh, working you have less stations mm. open so you have more people in each station and it's something that i have to deal with at least twice a, a week when i have to go physically to my to, to work so it didn't work as planned the the public transportation is uh, almost about uh, getting uh, in the regular schedule they close uh, for about uh, two or three weeks uh, the stations as I, may, I mentioned but they are reopening a lot of them last week um, and they um, the government released uh, the schedule for reopening the the industries so we are thinking thinking that uh, until uh, mid august uh, we will be getting to the end of this uh, quarantine uh, quarantine uh, And they uh, released this information last week uh, with something that for me it was uh, kind of a red flag because uh, the president announced, well, you know what, we have already flattened the curve so we can uh, be thinking about opening different parts of the of the industry. Okay, uh, when he announced that, uh, we had 151 uh, people dead on that specific day uh, for uh, uh, coronavirus related, uh, related uh, diseases. 
Uh, and the very next day, it actually went to 300. Uh, yesterday, we have uh, reported 501 uh, people dead for uh, coronavirus. But there's uh, the other part of the problem. If we are comparing Mexico with the rest of the countries that are part of the OECD, the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development, which we are part, we are actually one of the countries that are ma making less tests. And if you go to check the the, the acts, the official papers, when they say the cause of the death of the people, at the beginning, we were actually joking because coronavirus wasn't something deadly. You you should be worried more about uh, atypical pneumonia because most of the people who were dead at the time were diagnosed with that because we have not enough tests to check that they are actually infected with coronavirus. And if you don't practice a test uh, for the person who is uh, getting to the hospital, uh, you don't add that as a cause of death. So uh, we have pretty much a lot of people who uh, official cause of death is not coronavirus, but it pretty much was something related to that. Mm. And it's part of the lack of tests that uh, that uh, we are having. I Because I was looking at the statistics, uh, the official statistics on uh, the Google statistics page. If you Google COVID, you will get that page. And the statistics are really interesting. Um one thing you can do is look at the death per million people and you have a kind of a ranking of what country has how many deaths. In the case of Mexico, it's really low, really low. It's 65 um, per million people, which I'm sure some were not counted. But if, even if there was double that, it still puts you about the level of Germany, which is also low um, compared to other similar countries, similar in, uh, in the sense that they are Western countries. Germany is at about 100. Um, for comparison, the US is at 250 or something like that. Um, and France is at uh, 422. The UK is at almost 600. Belgium is at 900. Um, so, of course, it's not directly comparable. And you have population density, population age that play a lot into it. The US is at 300 now. And, and of course, things might change in the future. And I'm sure to an extent... Um, you know, the testing plays into it. I doubt it would double the numbers, you know, maybe there's a margin of error of a certain amount, but I doubt uh, it yes. would double the numbers. Uh, sorry, Patrick. Uh, yes. And for example, in here, uh, I will be really interested to to see if uh, Matthias has the number, because in Mexico, uh, so far, uh, we have a record of 1.8 tests for each uh, thousand uh, people. So we are, as I mentioned, one of the, the, the countries that have the lowest kind of testing. Chile, for example, they, they have like uh, 8.1 tests. And a part of the official numbers that we have, uh, at the beginning, we were using the Sentinel uh, measurement system, which is pretty much you take a sample and uh, you base the rest of the number on the sample. And even the subsecretary of health said, you know what? The official numbers that we have, that uh, which are close to the ones that you are mentioning, Patrick, you should at least multiply by eight because that will reflect the, the actual number that we have in here. But we cannot say that because we are not making tests. Well, I don't and, know that, you know, we didn't, I, maybe I'm wrong there, but first of all, Chile has... 46 uh, deaths per 100, uh, per million. So again, that's a number you have to put in context. But I don't know that we were testing everyone that was sick. It's just at some point in that pandemic, you can decide if you attribute it to COVID-19 even without testing it. You know the symptoms. I mean, 
you don't necessarily need a test to tell you what kind of illness you have. A, a doctor should be able to make that determination. Maybe it wasn't the case in Mexico, and indeed, maybe you you should multiply by eight. It's it's possible, I suppose. Um, but it, I, I maybe Mexico is a peculiar case. Um, I would be a little bit wary of saying, oh, but the numbers don't mean anything. And maybe we'll need to wait for, you know, two, three, ten years for people to actually sift through the the, the particulars of each um, country. But do you really think that, like, the, I don't know. Okay, I, I'm, I'm not going to discuss it too much because I don't actually know. Uh, but in, in Germany, let's let's move on to Germany. Um, the how is the situation now and more importantly how do you think the government handled it uh until now um it's interesting because i think we would be in a better situation be uh, regarding a possible second wave of the virus or uh, like the next flu season if uh the current epidemic would have gone differently because it's in the beginning of the pandemic, the government and most of the politicians listened to the suggestions of the scientific advisors almost to the letter and uh, did all the measurements you heard about. But the longer all of this dragged on and ironically, exactly because the spike in cases was not as severe in Germany compared to other countries, people started to question whether this was all just excessive and fear mongering. Mm. And this is the with all these measures if you take them and they prevent the disastrous progression you saw in other countries um, the measurements seem unnecessary because nothing happened and now you can often hear people asking why are we doing all this shit if all the hospital beds are now empty anyway and of course as always there are all, always those people who say well that's nothing more than the sniffles you didn't you don't need any <laughs> of this so instead of being glad that we don't have 100,000 deaths like uh, in the US uh, they complain that they can't eat at a restaurant and they should make uh, wear a mask or observe uh, observe basic human hygiene so um, i think if it's coming back it's like they are thinking or saying maybe it'll come back in the fall with the next flu season maybe and if that happens again uh, i think it, it will be worse because people don't take it as seriously as they probably should mm. and we're in the phase where everything is reopening and every politician is uh, trying to best the other by saying we should open faster and more and uh, they kind of um, start to ignore a little bit ignore um, the advice of uh, scientific advisors and we have we actually have politicians that say or high-ranking politicians even that say well we shouldn't listen to the scientists anymore because they always change their mind and revise their positions that's nothing <laughs> for us so uh, it, it, the, the normal scientific process and progress that you always observe and change your hypotheses and test them and then revise your position that's something that uh, politicians don't like. And of course, on the other hand, if the science advisor or scientist says, uh, changes his mind or gives a suggestion, they don't have to um, answer for it afterwards because they are not making the, the, the actual decisions. That's the job of the politicians. And of course, they are very mm. uh, scared that they might do something uh, that seems excessive in, in the afterwards. So, so let, let me ask you the question uh, like this. 
Are you satisfied with your government's action uh, until now? Uh, personally, I am, but uh, I am not as uh critical towards uh the, the the measurements in terms of the i think they, are, they were necessary i don't like that you have uh, basic rights that were limited they were never like completely uh, cancelled or anything they were limited but for a time i think it was necessary but a lot of people now would disagree with that and say that was excessive and mm. um, well the, yeah. the interesting part is that we now have a lot, uh, some protests popping up all over the country uh, who are protesting against all of this. But it's an interesting group that is coming together now because um, apart from the uh, leg legitimate concerns about the limitation of the basic rights um, and the discussion about that, there are also a lot of uh, groups like anti-vaxxers, people who flat out deny that the virus exists, virus exists, the growing number of conspiracy theorists, and they're all mixing together and uh, starting to protest. And it's difficult to keep them apart, so to speak. And uh, the Extreme right is now trying to capture this movement because they are criticizing the government and that's their bread and butter, you know, mm. they are jumping on the bad mountain. So, is that pesky 5G <laughs> that's causing everything? <laughs> is that Maybe. what? The, that pesky 5G network? <laughs> oh, well, it's full on. The 5G network is part of the conspiracy theory. It, it's funny, I was looking at, um, uh, th there was a comment, I think, on Twitter from someone who was you know that uh, Bill Gates, according to the conspiracy theories, is supposed to be the one who created the virus in order to inject uh, nanochips in everyone to control, you know, to to know their their data and their location all the time and all of that. And uh, someone on Twitter was <laughs> commenting, uh, "Yes, but we have phones." And all that data is already in your phones. Yes, but they could include, you know, they could inject <laughs> chips. And it's like, yes, but they already have all the data because you carry a phone with you all the time. Yes, but they and could also, create, you know, it's just, <laughs> yeah. And also we, we, we should be thankful because in my time, when I was young, you had to ingest an entire floppy disk to be tracked. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It was a lot less, uh, it was a lot more painful. Um, so right, so no one burned down the 5G tower uh, over here like it, they did in England. So uh, there's that. Yeah, I guess there's a little bit more reason. But you seem, so overall you're satisfied, but you're concerned for what's going to be happening going forward. Yes, especially mm. since, um, well, a lot of the things they implemented are uh, part of what you would consider basic hygiene. Huh? You wash your hands, you keep your distance, you don't sneeze at people. And uh, <laughs> if I hear there was a, a noted interview with a theater director or something who said, I don't want to be talked told by Merkel that I have to wash my hands. And I'm like, if the last time I heard someone say, I don't want to wash my hands, it was a three-year-old. So just <laughs> I can... like an adult, you know? And uh, so there is that. And for me personally, just uh, to put that, I'm a little bit biased because I'm part of a risk group. So I'm especially very and look out for everything. So uh, I have a maybe a little bit a different perspective on this, mm. but... Uh, for the most part, uh, we, we need to get back to quote-unquote normal life. And the thing I'm critical about is the way we're going back to it now. 
that's the, the process. Mm, you think it might be too quick or maybe forgetting about the the reason why it, it started in the first place. It's funny because um, for us, it, the situation is very different between France and Finland, but in many ways, it's also quite similar um, because the way things were implemented is very close. Um, mostly the same restrictions for mostly the same duration. Um, the, the difference is that the, the spread of the epidemic in Finland was a lot lower, a lot smaller than it was in France. Of course, France is one of the most affected countries, and uh, maybe some of it is due to the slow response or the inadequate response of the government. Uh, maybe some of it is due to the fact that the virus was already everywhere and we um well, as i said when everyone woke up in the early mid-march uh different countries were affected uh according to the amount of uh spread that had already been there it's it's possible again we'll see about that i guess in a few years but um overall the same restrictions applied and the same level of awareness seem to have been uh, existing in both Finland and France. But as I said, Finland had like, I don't know, a tenth of the cases, um, even per million. We have like 50 cases per million in Finland. And uh, in France, it's 400, something like that. And of course, Finland is, is very, very spread out. Uh, the comparable uh, part of the country is Helsinki, which is a mid-sized town. Um, but the, the awareness of it was the same. And so my feeling is that most people understand what is going to happen going forward and they, that we might need to get back <clears throat> to uh, more restrictions. Um, there's an awareness of it in both countries, even though in France there is a lot more complaint uh, it's it's funny because in France there are things like complaining about the masks, uh, the fact that the masks were. I think everyone agrees that the the original stock of masks from the previous uh, epidemics were destroyed in like 2011, 12, and were it was decided not to renew them because the government had established, had determined that uh, they could order them quickly enough from China, which is why we ended up not getting enough of them, but that they could be ordered and maintaining a... Um, a stock of millions and millions of masks that needed to be destroyed every few months or every year or so because they have an expiration date was too costly. Um, and so, of course, with this current pandemic, the issue was we didn't have enough masks and we couldn't order the ones we needed for a case of pandemic uh, because the world was going to shit and China couldn't send them. Uh, so it took a couple of months to get that situation um, managed. And so at the beginning, the government said, listen, you don't need masks. Just stay home. We're in lockdown. We, you have to stay home. Masks are not needed. And at that time, as you said, uh, Matthias, the word of the um, scientific community probably mistakenly so, was that masks don't protect you from the virus. Um, 
And so they're not as useful as you think they might be. And they were worried that people wearing masks would disregard other safety measures. And so essentially the word was, we need the masks for healthcare professionals. We don't have enough and they might have negative effects anyway. Let's not tell people to wear masks. And two or three months later, now we're telling people, actually, um, masks would be a good thing because even if they don't necessarily protect you from getting sick, they will protect you if you are sick from spreading the virus because they stop uh, the spittle <laughs> from spreading the virus. So now the government is telling people, wear masks, please. And you have a lot of, this is a long way of getting to the conclusion of that story, which is a lot of French people are saying, the government misled us. It didn't tell it, uh, give it to us straight. We would have understood. We would have done what we could. And I really think that there's a, you know, vision is 2020 in hindsight situation because we all remember the uh, rush to get toilet paper in early March when there was an unsubstantiated rumor that to toilet paper would run out. And the, the stores were empty. I honestly believe that it would have been possible that it would have created a lot of problems if the government had said, please wear masks when there weren't masks to give out to people, you know? So the, the bottom line here is the French people are revisiting a lot of what's been happening um, and judging it with today's knowledge, which I think in some cases is is warranted. I'm sure there are some things that could have done been done better. I'm certain of it. I also think some things are being judged very harshly with because now we understand. You know, I, I very clearly remember in early March when the lockdown was uh, implemented, I was making uh, uh, Instagram stories and Twitter posts explaining to people why social distancing was important because myself, I understood that maybe, you know, two days before with having had a, a, a really good explanation. I talked about it on, on this show. Um, but I was explaining to people why that was important and people weren't getting it, you know? It, we, we have assimilated this so much that we think it, it would have been natural back then. It wouldn't have been. So I think it's very dangerous to judge that time period with today's knowledge. But, you know, I'm, maybe there are also things that we would have understood. Maybe we would have understood that masks were necessary, but we didn't have them and it wouldn't have created problems. Maybe people would have just social distanced, um, even if they had made handmade masks and uh, they would have been prudent anyway. I don't know. My experience with the things the way things have gone is that people were not being careful enough already. Um, so I don't know. We'll, we'll, we'll have the, the conclusion on all of this, I guess, as, as we mentioned in a few years, but the bottom line is again, third time I say the bottom line on the overall situation. Now that bottom line, I feel like things are slowly getting back to normal and people are, aware that we might need to go back to a more stringent lockdown process. And that might be the difference between uh, my feelings about the situation here in Finland and even in France compared to you in Germany, Matthias, 
it's that because it was quite severe and quite urgent, and we did have a lot of deaths, although not in Finland, but we, I guess Finns are very civilized people and understand the importance of listening to the scientists. Um, but we're very aware that things might have to be rolled back a little bit. Just like our conservative friends were saying in the US last episode, they were like, we're reopening things, the situation is different in different parts of the country, but we know that things might need to be rolled back a little bit. Um, but you're saying, Matthias, that this is not the feeling you're getting in, in Germany. People are not aware or might have a more difficult time accepting going back to a more uh, stringent lockdown. That's my fear. So mm. because uh, we didn't experience the same severity that the next time they'll say, well, it worked last time. So why bother? It'll just work out fine. And also there's, of course, always the issue that Germany has a very large number of uh, intensive care units compared to other countries. So uh, even if it would hit here, uh, the uh, amount of people who could be treated would be larger than uh, in other countries. So it might not be that severe in total death numbers. But uh, like it, it's, it's the problem is it's not just the deaths, but also uh, like it's a systemic disease. It's had uh, the aftermath, uh, the the um, um, the problems you might have afterwards for uh, life need also mm. be something you have in mind. Because if you have a respiratory, if your your lung is damaged, you will have that for the rest of your life, and that will uh, go down uh, on other uh, diseases you might have in the future. Uh, but in total, I think there are three points why I think I don't like the way we're handling it going back to the quote-unquote normal again. Uh, one is that a lot of this seems to be politically motivated by certain politicians because two of the main uh, protagonists in all of this are potential candidates for a conservative chancellor in 2021. So uh, they're in the spotlight because they want to... Uh, profile themselves and be uh, the protector and but also the one who champions the economy so maybe they're not listening really listening to these uh, scientists but look more at their political political profile uh, number two is that i think that all of this might undermine the public opinion now towards science um, because this week there was, I think you can really call it the hit piece by a large tabloid paper on the government's chief scientific advisor. And uh, they're trying to discredit a study he's pre presenting. And the problem I see with this, it was it was completely misrepresented. All the claims were misrepresented. Uh, they ignored all journalistic standards. Uh, even all the scientists they quoted, they didn't talk to them. And now the scientists say, we never talked to them. We distanced ourselves from all of this. But they ran with the story anyway. And uh, I think this might that this all undermines the trust you have in science. And uh, if you uh, don't trust the scientists, guess what happens the next time when they warn about a pandemic or if they discuss something else, like, for example, climate change. Well, why should we listen to the scientists? They got it wrong all the uh, last time. So mm. why listen to them now? And the third one is um, we could use all of this as a chance for change that is badly needed, especially for things like climate change. And uh, because climate change, for example, is still progressing, we're not just not paying attention right now. And while all of the measures against the pandemic have done wonders for things like pollution or the reduction of emissions, uh, we're now starting over the same way we did before, instead of taking this moment to implement badly needed changes. 
just as an example, politicians over here are now discussing if we should give consumers a premium so that they can buy new cars to accelerate the sales after the lockdown has ended. But instead of limiting this, for example, to electric cars, or even if they would offer this for buying a bike or something that is environmental friendly, they want to use it to sell the same car as before. Or another example, uh, Lufthansa, the airline, is now getting a 9 billion euro bailout by the government because of the pandemic. But instead of using this to force the changes, they would lower emissions, for example, like they could force them. I think France did this as well. They're forcing an airline to reduce the amount of in-country flights that could easily be replaced by train rides to lower emissions. Mm -hmm. But instead of doing that, they're just giving Lufthansa the money and they continue can continue as before. So that's in my opinion, a wasted opportunity. You know, it's funny because every person I talk to on this show has bad things to say about their country and good things to say about other countries. It's mm -hmm. always, I don't know, I feel like, certainly it's, I'm not saying that this isn't true, of, of course, but I think it says a little bit about what we choose to look at. Um, I don't know. It's just a, 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 a something I notice in general. Um, we're never happy, I guess. I don't know. The problem is um, this is something we haven't faced before. It's completely new and you don't know how the outcome will be. You mm. have no script to follow, uh, no best practices. You're go making it as long as you go. And uh, the problem is, in high, as you said, hindsight is twenty twenty. Mm. Uh, if you look back, you always know that you could have done it differently and it could have been handled better. But uh, we're all making it up along, I guess, as we go along, I guess. Mm. So, uh, well, I will tell you that looking uh, from the outside, uh, Germany is is seen as the champion in the way they handled the crisis. Like there, it was ex exemplary. Um, and of course, there are other countries that might have handled things better, but Germany is so close to us that it's very comparable at, at the very least because we're cousins. So um, I don't know. Also, just because you said everyone likes uh, the other countries, but not their own. Um, while I don't agree with a lot of things Angela Merkel is saying and uh, standing for in this case, even though she has only limited opportunities because most of the measurements taken were on a state level or not the federal level. So she was just the, I guess, moderator who tried to keep it all together. But the way she handled this and she calmly explained everything, that's something I like about her. Even though I like, I hate a lot of, of other things, that's something I really like about her. And uh, I think whoever the next one next chancellor will be i think that's something we might miss in the next one. Oh. so at least there's a little bit of uh on her way out she gets to to lift her head up a little bit more uh than she had been in the past few months or, or a year or two um <laughs> then i'll i'll end with you um I guess, how do you think things are going to go for the future? Earlier in the show, you seemed to be saying that things were, as we're looking at a quieting down of the, the crisis here in Europe, you seem to be implying that actually things are just starting for you, even though the lockdown measures are being um, uh, relaxed. 
you seem to say that the 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 epidemic might not be ending at all uh, for you in in Mexico. Is that is that the case? Yes, and I have a similar concerns as uh, Matthias expressed because the second wave and the third wave will be the, the the most deadly in this case here in Mexico. And if you check the the as you mentioned before and uh, the, the the official numbers that uh, of infections that you have in Mexico and pretty much you can uh, look for it in Mexico uh, in in Google, uh, you will see that the, they are actually increasing. So we are not flattening mm-hmm. the curve and we are relaxing some of the measurements. This, as I mentioned before, has to do a bit with the, the fact that we have to uh, be dealing with our uh, economical partners, in this case, the United States. Um, if you look for uh, the Marketplace podcast, uh, last week they have uh, some interviews that were very interesting because they mentioned about the, the car sector in the United States and how they depend about uh, they depend a lot in the, the parts that are being manufactured, that are being uh, created here in Mexico. So that's one of the sectors that is already uh, starting to work because we have to, uh, we are part of this big machine where we are uh, producing goods. So even though we are relaxing some of the measurements, uh, the, the infections are, are, are getting high. I, I mean, well, not, not, not getting high. They are, um, the numbers are getting, be- are getting bigger. So I am really worried because uh, if we are relaxing some of the measurements, uh, this can get out of proportion. Obviously, this is the negative me. This is the pessimistic me. Hopefully, it will be uh, brought in a brighter uh, light. And I really thank you, Patrick, because when I come to the program, you always uh, uh, help me to perhaps uh, get a little bit um, on solid ground. And uh, perhaps it's not as bad as I am <laughs> thinking. Uh, but it's just because I and I am really in, uh, antagonistic with this uh, government. Government. And yeah. perhaps one final question: If, if both uh, you, Patrick, and, and Matthias can can tell me, what is the economic uh, perspective that you have? Because at least here in Mexico, we economically weren't doing great. Actually, we were uh, hoping were for uh, not for growing the the the, the earnings, uh, the the GP, but we we are going to get down. And uh, for a lot of sectors like the entertainment sector, the the film sector, TV sector, well, uh, there are a lot of business that if they don't open in a couple of months, they will be completely completely black uh, bankrupt. But I don't know if it's only here. It's uh, perhaps only the per- perspective that I have in here. How is the economic oh, uh, future looking <laughs> in your countries? Well, so first of all, uh, looking at the curve from Mexico, it's, yeah, you're right. That gives a different perspective. It's going up and it's up and it shows no sign of slowing down, at least until, you know, for the numbers we have today. So I understand that it's a, a very different perspective when you have that um, uh, uh size that i don't know that the 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 when the arrows are going on that direction uh but economically it's fairly uh grim everywhere and the government is getting involved especially in france in multiple sectors of the economy to either support or um help uh, restart because things are going to be massively problematic in the next year or so. And so I think that the way we're thinking about handling it now um, is that we're kind of trying to make sure we test and trace as much as possible. But the goal is not going to be to make the... um, It's going to, to be to find the balance 
the best balance we can between uh, occupying a certain number of uh, beds in intensive care and restarting as much as possible of the economy and riding it out until we have a vaccine. And by riding it out, I mean a certain number of, of uh, cases and deaths are going to be inevitable slash acceptable. And of course, the, the, we are much wiser to the issues uh, now than we were three months ago. And the testing is, is getting in place. Um, the, the protective measures are getting in place. And some of the, uh, again, lockdown measures are still happening. Um, but there are things like, it's not the case in France. I can't remember um, where it was. It, oh, I can't remember. I think it was somewhere in the north, uh, in northern Europe, that a movie theater reopened with specific measures to protect people. Um, and I, I wouldn't be surprised if at some point, if the numbers keep going down, that also happens. Essentially, um, health is the prime concern but the economy is obviously the, the secondary concern and it's something that you can't dismiss. I think it's something people talk about a little bit less, but, and it's almost a dirty thing like in every other country. But at some point, if you can ensure that the, the epidemic is contained, even though it hasn't disappeared, then you have to start worrying about the economy with the understanding, as we've said multiple times, that uh, you might need to uh, go back to more stringent lockdown measures if things get out of hand. But we know that we're not going to get the epidemic to dis disappear completely um, until we have a vaccine. And even then, it's going to take, you know, a a two years to vaccinate everywhere. So we can't, it's impossible to have the maximum lockdown that we've had in the past two months for two years or three years, right? I think everyone will understand that. So we're trying to find that, uh, that balance, I think. Matthias, what about you? Uh, to answer the economic question, I think that this whole thing accelerated some uh, parts, uh, like there were... Um, a large steakhouse chain, I don't remember which one, like they filed for bankruptcy one week after they stopped, uh, had to close all their restaurants. Mm. So uh, in this case, there had to be something wrong with them before that. That was ju not just the case because of this. So it accelerated uh, some processes, I guess, in on some parts. But this morning, there was uh, the economic forecast for the EU for 2020. And uh, I think... Uh, Germany, the forecast for Germany was minus 6.5% GDP. Oof. So, um, and at the, for, for the whole of the European Union, it was minus 7.4. So we're, I guess, a little below average, but there will be uh, a lot of, uh, there will be a lot of economic, economic struggle uh, in the next year or two uh, resulting from all of this. There's no question about that. Mm. I think it's something we're all aware of, but we we are, I mean, it's not even just about accepting it. It's that people are arguing about how much we should open and how fast, but I don't think anyone, at least in France and in Finland, it seems Germany might be different, but in France and Finland, no one is saying we have to go back to normal immediately. 
everyone is saying, okay, how much can we do? How quickly can we do it? What is reasonable to do? For all the complaints, and God knows, especially in France, there's a lot of complaints. Um, <laughs> I think most people agree that we can't just go back to normal immediately. And the, the differences are minor in the ways people uh, want to do things, I think problem for the German economy is that we're all tied to every, everyone around us because uh, we are a heavily export-driven economy. So if you can export into other countries, uh, our economy uh, tanks as well. So it's not just uh, the way we do things, but also how other countries do things for us, I guess. Yeah. Well, I mean, in France as well, of course, we export a lot. I don't know how much, but one thing I do know is that a major, major part of our economy is tourism. Uh, especially in Paris, it's the most visited city in the world by far. It's like 30 million tourists in Paris every year. Uh, so obviously, this is <laughs> this is a, a, to answer your questions very easily, very simply, uh, Dan. Paris has 30 million tourists every year, so that's going to poof disappear, and it's not going to come back for years. It's not going to reach those levels for years again. So, yeah, of course, people are very worried about everything. Well. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you very much to both of you for that uh, little panorama of uh, the situation in all of our countries. You, Yeah, you wanted to add something, Dan? Uh, no, no, it was just com complementary, and it, it was woe because uh, pretty much it's the same scenario for everywhere. I mean, in Mexico, we also depend from tourism, but uh, we depend a lot of oil, and the current administration was pretty much betting everything on oil, and you know that uh, mm. I believe that right now you can make more, make more money uh, by selling beer than by selling oil. So <laughs> you, you can, They don't know where to stock it. Right. They, they, exactly. <laughs> yeah, they don't know where to store it. They're paying people to buy it and store it somewhere. Um, yeah, I mean that that might have changed a little bit uh, already. But they give it away for free. If it, yeah. uh, there was a, a, hu a huge news article because a brewery uh, who usually uh, sells uh, like in in those large drums, not in the bottles, but who usually sells in large drums, can uh, get rid of all the beer. So they gave away fifteen thousand liters of beer because it was about to expire and they just gave it away for causes where uh, is that and how can i get there really fast because in mexico <laughs> we don't have beer <laughs> all right well thank you again to both of you before we leave um dan can you tell us where we can find you please the easiest way is on Twitter, but I am actually going to recommend that if you use uh, Instagram, you can find me in there as Dan Campos HDZ. And uh, perhaps you don't, you won't find a lot of pictures, but I actually post a lot of video in there, uh, produced content, vertical video about films, about uh, comic books, and about science and tech. So there you have it. Thank you very much, uh, Matthias. What about you? You can find me on Twitter on the account at Matzekult, M-A-T-Z-E-K-U-L-T, or you can find me on Mastodon under the same handle on the instance chaos.social. Perfect. Uh, for me, uh, you know what? We have a new podcast. Uh, as we Did we talk about it before? 
the show. I think it was before we started recording. It's called Work in Sanity, and it's a show I do with Tom Merritt about working from home. We've been doing it for a long time. We have a lot of thoughts and advice and tips. Uh, it's just 15 minutes every Monday, so it's super quick, very easy to listen, and uh, hopefully it brings something to your new habits of working from home. Again, it's called Work in Sanity, and you can just uh, check it out on your podcast app. It's slowly propagating to all the podcasts apps. Um, but if you can't find it, just go to workinsanity.net and that will give you the URL. Uh, it will redirect to the URL you have to subscribe to for uh, listening to the show, workinsanity.net. And um, for me, not Patrick on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram as well. And of course, frenchspin.com for the show itself and the comments if you want to tell us what you thought about what we discussed. And patreon.com slash the club the link is in the show notes if you enjoy this show please consider giving a couple of bucks sending a couple of bucks my way uh because it is as i mentioned a lot of work so if you like it i would appreciate uh, your money very much thank you for listening and we will be back in a couple of weeks with another show talk to you then bye